Welcome to Mahogany Moms Podcast. My name is Dr. Rochelle Whitaker, but you can call me Dr. Shell. I'm here to provide support and education on all things motherhood. Join me every other Wednesday for encouragement, inspiration, and information as we delve into health, mental and physical, education, money, and everything else that comes with this motherhood journey. So today we have a special treat on the podcast. Today we have Dr. Juan Michelle Martin. She is a physical therapist, a birth doula, and a woman's wellness coach. So she's also a mom of two. Let me not forget that. Um, So let's welcome Dr. Martin to the podcast. How are you? I am well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, awesome. Glad you could be here. So tell us more about who you are and what you do. Absolutely. So my name is Dr. Joanne Michelle Martin. I am a pelvic floor physical therapist. So not just a physical therapist, but I've gone through additional training to specialize in working with the pelvic floor region and any conditions related to that, which I'm sure we'll get into in a little bit. I own a practice in the Atlanta metro area um, where I see, you know, adults and children for any type of pelvic floor issues that might be related to urinary issues, bowel issues, pregnancy, postpartum, sexual um, dysfunction, pelvic pain, all those types of things, intimacy, those types of things. Um, I'm also a mom of two beautiful kids. Uh, My daughter is eight. My son is about to be six in a week and he is super excited. Um, (laughs) We're still trying to figure out what the heck we're going to do for his birthday. Mm -hmm. Birthdays during COVID are very interesting. Um, But you know, it's, it's just, it's been an interesting journey and it's, it's been great to, you know, take my experience as a mom and translate that into my practice as well. Yes, I can imagine. So the question is, how did you get into physical therapy? What led you into this field? Oh my gosh. So I have been a physical therapist for 14 years. I originally wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. Mm. Um, And when I was in school, I was a volleyball player. I played um, in college. I played, I'm originally from Barbados. I played on the national team. I was a member of the national team for about 10 years from the juniors all the way up to the the women's national team. And um, I got hurt in my sophomore year of college. And I remember going to see the orthopedist who he happens to be an orthopedic surgeon. Um, And I absolutely hated this man. And I mean, hate is such a strong word. I probably shouldn't say that. He he lacked tact. He lacked bedside Mm -hmm. manner. I had no idea who he was. The man never even introduced himself. His first words to me, all right, we got to schedule you for surgery. And I am in tears because if I have surgery, that's my season, right? And potentially my volleyball career. So there's a lot on the line here. And you know, but he was so rude about it. So brash. And I really didn't like that. And I was talking to his PA and I said, you know what? I don't want to deal with you. I don't like your approach. I don't like your attitude. I will talk to your PA. And he got offended and he left. And I was like, whatever. And I told the PA, I said, listen, tell me what's going on. Tell me what my options are. Can I rehab this? I said, because I'm fine with doing that. Can I rehab this? You know, is there a window of time where we need to work with it? And he says, we can try, but here's what I'll tell you. If we can rehab you and your, you know, your imaging is improved by the time you come back in, you know, three, four months, then we can maybe able to forego the surgery. Hmm. If things, cause I had um, stress fractures in both my legs. I was having tremendous pain. Hmm. Um, I had stress fractures along my shins and they were, they were a lot worse um, once the imaging was done than we had anticipated. 
But he said, if, if there's no change, then we're going to have to have surgery. And I said, okay, that's fair. And I went home that summer and I worked with my, my high school track coach, my club coach. And I did a lot of, you know, beach workouts with my volleyball coach and a lot of water workouts and stuff like that. And by the time season started, I wasn't a hundred percent, but my pain had, you know, substantially gone down. And I started looking into physical therapy and I'd gone to a physical therapist, you know, for a minor tweak in my knee. I'd gone her for maybe like two or three weeks, you know, of probably when I was about 15 or 16. And she was just really awesome. I just thought she was the coolest person. Um, and she worked with athletes and I was like, oh yeah, that's my wheelhouse. And so that was what shifted my mind from you know, going into surgery. Plus it was like 12 extra years residency and specialized. And I was like, good Lord. I was like, that's a lot of time. I need to live at some point. And so I ended up going into PT because I was so fascinated by the process. I was fascinated by taking people from a point A where they may be distressed, where, you know, things may look a little bleak to getting them to wherever their goals were. And that just fascinated me. Okay. So let's talk about um, what physical therapy, what it is, what it looks like. Cause a lot of times people are like, Oh, physical therapy, you do exercises. I mean, they don't, people don't know. So what do physical therapists do? So physical therapist is really a, a combination of many, many things, but essentially we are experts in the musculoskeletal system. So we're experts in the bones, the muscles, the ligaments, ner- nervous system, we ha- there are so many different niches in physical therapy. Most people are familiar with an orthopedic physical therapist that works with, you know, the hip, the knees, the shoulders, the back, you know, the, the surgeries, those types of things. But there are so many others. There are therapists that work specifically in pediatrics, uh, which I've done. I worked in the NICU when I was in the hospital. So I used to see kids that had, you know, maybe some traumatic births, developmental delays, things of that sort. Um, there are therapists who work with neurological conditions, spinal cord injuries, strokes, um, neurological disorders like MS and other things like that. There are, you know, therapists who may work with specific things, you know, whether it's golfers or swimmers or, you know, just very, you know, maybe work-related injuries. And then myself, I'm a pelvic floor therapist. And I work specific, I tell people, I focus on everything between the belly button and the knees. Mm -hmm. So if you are having issues controlling your pee, your poop, you're having pain with sex, you can't have sex. If you're a guy, you can't get it up. You can't keep it up. You know, (laughs) you're having any of those issues, then I'm the one that you see because that's what we specialize in. I even have my little pelvic model here, but you know, everything that happens in the pelvis, it's such, it's a small area, but it's so many things are in there. And those are the things that we focus on. But ultimately the therapist will take you from point A, which is, you know, your point of pain, your point of issue, your point, you know, you can't do the things that you want to do to be in functional, to be able to achieve your goals, whatever those are. And that's going to look different for everyone but ultimately get you to where you want to be. Okay, so if I am a mom, I'm postpartum, I've had, um, maybe I'm petite and I've had a big baby and now we're kind of dealing with, I'm gonna say this word and and I'll let you explain it. Um, But now I have diastasis recti. How Mm -hmm. do you as a physical therapist treat um, me as a mom? What are you working on? What are we working on? Oh, we are working on a couple of things because diastasis may look different, you know, in different people. It also depends on what your function is, right? So, you know, are you just trying to get through normal day-to-day activities? 
are you an athletic mom who's trying to get back to more specific things, right? So ultimately what happens and what is done may look a little bit different in terms of how we get people to their end goal. But ultimately, when we go ahead and we assess these women, we are looking at the soft tissue. So we're looking at, there may be a lot of hands-on work that's going on to make sure that as far as tissues, you know, there's a lot of changes that happen during pregnancy. So just making sure that we are optimizing soft tissue mobility, muscle mobility, you know, ligaments mobility, joint mobility, all these types of things. We also then want to look at optimizing function of the muscles. So ultimately what happens when you're pregnant, a hundred percent of women are going to have a diastasis a hundred percent. By the time you're like 34, 35 weeks, you're, you, you've got a diastasis. Now, the degree of that will vary. Um, and ultimately after birth, there's some women whose bodies will just, you know, kind of resolve mm-hmm. and there are others that won't. Right. And this, again, like you mentioned, if someone had a bigger baby, maybe because of the style of pushing, all these different things can play a role, maybe genetics, right. Because there's something to be said for genetics in terms of collagen and tissues and stuff like that. But ultimately, what you want to look at is getting the strength back in these abdominal muscles because they have been stretched, the Mm -hmm. tissues have been stretched, and now we've got to get we've got to get them back to a point where they can now be functional again. Because if you take if you overstretch these muscles and these tissues, then what happens is you take them out of their functional range, and we need to bring them back to function. Um, So you want to start working on loading loading these muscles, strengthening these muscles. A lot of people will, you know, more often than not, we say don't do things like sit-ups, right? But really, really it's a little bit more complex. You want to gradually start and you got to meet people where they're at. So you want to see what can these tissues tolerate? What can this person tolerate, right? If this were an athlete, they may be able to do a little bit more. They may be able to start at a different place, but you might find that even sometimes just simple exercises, postural exercises, um, movement exercises, a lot of trunk movement, rotation, things like that. Loading the muscles from different directions is going to be very, very helpful. And then ultimately you want to get into functional stuff. So you want to be, if, if they're, they've got a baby, they got to be able to lift the baby. They got to be able to lift the baby and maintain control of the trunk. Doctors will always say, well, don't lift anything heavy after birth, but the daggone stroller is like 35 pounds. (laughs) The car seat, it's like another 30 pounds. And God help you if you've already got a toddler at home when you've got this newborn. Yes. So, you know, it's it's kind of hard and moms moms have to do, right? You can't, they can't not do. Right. So the goal is to help them to be as functional and efficient as possible while also allowing the body to heal, increasing awareness of the muscles, and then ultimately strengthening the muscles. And then if they have additional goals, which might be fitness related or something like that, then getting them back to their specific activities, whether it's running, lifting, CrossFit, you know, whatever it is. So, so I have a, a diastasis. Um, I had a rather large baby and then I had fibroids that grew with him. So yeah, I had a six pack before I had him and then, yeah, now it's crazy. But what it looks like for me is that it, there's a protrusion. So when I'm just like relaxed, it looks like, well, to me anyway, it looks like I'm still pregnant, maybe mm-hmm. early on, but it, um, it looks like that. So is there ever a case where you've done all the physical therapy you can do and you're like, mm, you probably need surgery because the tissue is so, it's just, it's damaged with beyond repair. Usually if that happens, it's going to be, if we're dealing with someone who might've had a larger separation. 
Okay. So oftentimes there are a couple of things to consider. There are a lot of people who have a pouch and they automatically think that mm -hmm. they have a diastasis. And that may not necessarily be the case. Diastasis means separation. So we're literally looking at a separation of the abdominal muscle. So just because, because you have a little pouch after you've had a baby does not necessarily mean that you have a diastasis. Now, posture could be playing a role, but ultimately your muscles are going to be stretched anyway. Right. And so a lot of the time, it's just, we just really need to start focusing on the muscles, focusing on strengthening, maybe a little bit of cardio. And then nutrition always plays a role because again, you are what you eat. And so we tend to, and more, more often than not, women tend to start loading any type of adipose tissue or fat in the abdominal region more often than not. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you gain a substantial amount of weight during your pregnancy, that may be where a lot of it has gone as well. So just kind of, again, looking at nutrition, cleaning that up if you can, um, getting more movement, getting more strengthening and more holistic strengthening, whole body strengthening and functional type movement. If, however, there is a separation, the level or the degree of separation may vary in some people. And if you've got a really, really large one, you may be able to do some work, but if you can't really bring that separation down, um, despite therapy. So there are some women who might, you know, they've had nine centimeter, you know, or nine finger width um, separations and you might do therapy and you might get it down to a four or five, but that tissue has just been stretched really, really um, badly or really immensely. And then they may consider um, surgery. The other thing that they're going to consider, consider surgery for is if they have a hernia. Mm -hmm. So if yeah. now you've got a hernia, which is where now the abdominal content starts to protrude. So now you start seeing this thing like, what is that bulge coming out of the middle of my belly? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and you might start noticing that. And that could be, you know, the intestine starting to poke through. That's not so much of an issue if it's not constantly there. But if you're starting to feel things like pain, um, you're starting to get a lot of irritation with it then that's something that you definitely want to get checked out. And so a lot of women will go ahead and get um, surgical procedures done for that. Ultimately, a lot of women will have surgeries, though, even sometimes when it may not necessarily be needed because of the aesthetics of it all. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, body image is huge. And we've got to feel good in our bodies. Unfortunately, there's a lot of stigma in our society for women to just snap back. There's a lot of stigma in our society for women to just like, oh, you pushed out the baby yesterday. You need to look like a supermodel tomorrow. Right. And if you don't, there's obviously something wrong with you. And a lot of women may feel this pressure a lot more than some. And so for them, they may opt to go ahead and have surgery. And I will tell people, if you're choosing surgery because of aesthetics, please ensure that you have done your due diligence and you've found... Um, found a surgeon who, you know, is really, really revered. Not only that, you may still need some physical therapy afterwards, because as with any surgical procedure, there still is the risk of scar tissue. Mm -hmm. You still want to make sure the tissues have mobility. And even though you have closed up the separation, it doesn't mean that you've strengthened the muscles any, the muscles still need to get stronger. If right. they're weak at that point in time, and you do surgery, they're still weak. You know, it's just, you don't have that separation anymore. So you still want to go ahead and make sure that you take care of that with a pelvic floor therapist so that from a functional perspective, when it comes to you doing the things that you need to do, you can do those without any back pain, any hip pain, or any other problems that might come along with that. 
So I don't want to get stuck on this, but why is it that so many women don't know about diastasis recti? Even doctors don't. I'm, I'm perplexed because when I told my doctors, like, what is going on? Like, this isn't right. She's like, just do some sit-ups. I was like, <laughs> I don't think that's going to help, but okay. You know, it, there's not a lot of information. Um, like I mentioned, we were talking before the show about 70% of OBGYNs do not refer to pelvic floor therapy. If we're here, we're around, right? And oftentimes when I work with women, all I hear is, I've never heard of this before. Right. I, I never even knew you existed. I didn't know there was a solution for this. I just had a mom come into my office today and she was dealing with pain with intercourse for probably the last 15 years. Wow. Um, and her and her husband were able to have a child, but she'd gone to therapy. She'd seen other people. And she'd gotten no relief. And she was like, well, what makes you different? I said, well, I'm able to tell you what's going on based on your evaluation. I said, speaking to you, I think I, I go with my gut and I feel like something might've been missed. And you could have been with the greatest person, but I feel like something could have been missed. So let's go ahead. Let's do the evaluation. Let's see where you're at. But she was having a neurological issue. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, she was having all of this pain. She still has some pelvic floor stuff going on. So I made a referral to, um, for her to a pelvic pain physiatrist, pelvic pain specialist who was seeing her um, around the same time I was that was able to go ahead and do this stuff for to help with some of that pelvic pain she was dealing with while I worked with her. Um, I saw her for six sessions. She told me today, she says, Jay, I had sex and it was great. Wow. It was great. But it's like stuff like that, that makes me, I'm like, yes, 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 win, <laughs> yes, woo-woo. Because for all the women that say, well, I don't even know what pelvic floor therapy is. I said, you know what? We are here and we can help and we exist. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, it's just a matter of getting more people aware of what we do and the fact that pelvic floor therapy can help them. And so how do you, how do um, women find out that you're there? How do you get your clients? A lot of my, well, I'm also a birth doula. So a lot of people in the birth world know me. So I get a lot of referrals from do other doulas, from midwives, from lactation consultants. There are a lot of physicians that know me. So the physicians that know me do refer. Um, and then, you know, word of mouth in the community. Um, again, as a minority, so as a black woman, they're not, God, I mean, there's, you know, there's the number of pelvic floor physical therapists is increased. There, that's increasing. The number of black pelvic PTs is still pretty low. I can probably count like 10 that I know. I think that's it. There are more, you know, in the works, you know, there are more up and coming pelvic floor PTs, but again, there are not a lot of us, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and then you think about all the things that we hear, you know, with racial issues and prejudices. And one of the things that a lot of black women say is I want somebody that looks like me, somebody who can understand me a little bit better. So I think in that regard, we've got a lot more work to do to kind of educate our communities so that they are better prepared, they're better aware. But ultimately, I think it just, you know, it really just depends on where you are. You know, here in the metro area, we've got a, we've got a fair amount of pelvic PTs. Um, you know, I refer heavily to a lot of my other colleagues if people are not in my immediate area um, so that they can get the help that they need. But again, in some other places, people don't have that luxury, you know, because there's just nobody. Mm -hmm. Wow, that is so, that's so interesting that there's only, you know, there's only like a small number of um, 
uh, African-American PTs. It's not, it's not surprising, but it is interesting um, that there's just such a small number. Now you did mention you're a birth doula. So let's talk about what do birth doulas do? What does that look like? (laughs) Yes. So birth doulas help. They are a support person and an advocate for moms during pregnancy and the birthing process. So I support my mamas through their pregnancy um, with education, um, both them and their partners. And I should, I rather, instead of saying mamas, my birthing individuals, um, them and their partners through their pregnancy to help them be prepared, to help them be informed, because at the end of the day, you know, they need to be informed when they go into that birth. The decisions are not up to me. The decisions are up to them. And at the end of the day, they need to have all the information so that they can make the best decision for them and their family. Um, and so that's what I do. And during the birthing process, I'm there with my moms, you know, in whatever facility they choose. And I'm there to support them, whether it's with hands-on stuff to kind of ease the discomfort, you know, whether it is through affirmation, you know, we go through so much during the pregnancy, teaching things like comfort measures and childbirth education. So they're already prepared for that big day and for that moment. And then just following up with them afterwards, because again, women get one follow-up after birth traditionally in this country, and then they don't see a doctor again for a year. And there's so much that can happen within the first six months. Um, So that follow-up is crucial. So being able to check in with mamas just to even say, hey, how you doing? What do you need? What do you need today? How do you feel today? You know, what, what, um, what things, you know, what resources can I get for you? You know, so whether it's maternal mental health, whether it's a lactation consultant, because they're having difficulty with, with nursing, whether it's, they need a postpartum doula because they're just a little bit overwhelmed and they need a little bit more help in their home, you know, whatever it is, whether they need a mom's group, cause they just want that support and community, whatever it is, we are really there to support and advocate for these women. So I think it's so interesting that what you do as a PT and then as a birth doula merge together. So you've been a a PT for 14 years. When did the birth doula come into play? I've been supporting birth, gosh, it's been about four years now. Um, And, you know, and I've done trainings through, I've done postgraduate trainings through the American Physical Therapy Association. So I've trained in all the obstetric trainings. Um, I've done the DONA doula training. I've trained with the National Black Doulas Association. I'm actually a licensed and certified trainer through the MBDA. So I now train other doulas um, as well to help support because we do need more support within the community. And, And there's so many areas where, again, Moms don't even know what a doula is. Moms Mm -hmm. don't have access. And so just to kind of create more individuals who can do this work, who want to do this work, who want to be there to support mom. Again, for Black women, especially, the biggest thing for us is maternal mortality and morbidity. And it's been shown through the research that having a doula support a birth can decrease cesarean rates by 40% having a doula during a birth or having a doula there with you can increase the likelihood of breastfeeding. It increased breastfeeding outcomes. It decreases a lot of the maternal morbidity issues because a lot of the things that might have gone, you know, amiss, they're usually caught earlier because you've got somebody with eyes on you. You've got somebody who's paying attention, who's tuned into what's going on. And so I think it's really, really important, especially for our community. Um, And just for, for, you know, pregnant individuals in general. 
So let me ask you this. So so I've seen, um, it's interesting, I've talked to um, other birth doulas and what they've said is a lot of their clients are not African-American, right? Because we just, we don't know about it. Um, I think there's a lot of confusion between a midwife and a doula. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of, say a mom doesn't have, I don't know, she doesn't have a lot of resources in terms of money. Are there doulas mm-hmm. who, I don't know, do sliding scale or... I'm saying sliding scale, but <laughs> there could be another yeah. term for it. But how would a mom who doesn't have maybe the financial resources, how would she be able to afford a doula or get a doula? So it varies based on location. There are a lot of doulas that do work with marginalized communities, right? Whether they are minority communities, whether they are financially um deprived communities so there and it really just depends and and sometimes it's just going out there and you know doing some research it's you know finding them on mom's groups or finding them on doula groups there are a lot I think now there's so much access to information and there are a lot there's a group that I'm a part of here that other doulas are a part of and there are so many moms in that group so if there is a need they go ahead and ask there are other doulas that might say hey I've got a mom who reached out to me and you know they're low income and they they only have this much can anybody take them so a lot of the doulas will you know will talk to each other and say hey can you do this can you take this person or whatever maybe too there are a lot of areas though where um there are doula collectives that work um you know either on sliding scales or work with low income families and they're more term community doulas um so the cost is not prohibitive And so women can still have access to these doulas. The other thing is there are some hospitals, not very many, but there are some hospitals that may already have an established relationship with the doula such that the doula almost acts like they're on staff, but it's like a contractual relationship Mm -hmm. and they are there. So they're not paid by the client. They may be paid by the hospital um, and they are able to serve those clients. So a lot of it is just finding out what's available in your area, looking up different doula collectives. There are some really amazing um, birth matters in South Carolina. Um, There is, oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank on the name right now. Um, Semi, Southeastern Michigan. Um, They have a doula collective there. Um, there's an amazing group of doulas, um, over in San Francisco. Um, oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank on their name, but there, there's some amazing people doing such great work, um, throughout the country that if people had a need, they, there's somebody there for you. The only hindrance would probably be proximity to to these people. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good to know. And so maybe, um, you can, um, share with me some of the resources and I can, Mm -hmm. Put it in the show notes so if a mom is listening to this and is looking for a doula we can help her figure out where to go yeah absolutely um, so i wanted to ask you because you mentioned you work with um kids and adults and mm-hmm. you specialize in pelvic issues so what i'm trying to figure out in what in what area would a child have pelvic um i mean unless they've had some kind of disability i'm trying to think outside of that though what kind of pelvic issues would a child have Oh, that is a beautiful question that I get asked all the time. So yes, kids with disabilities, especially neurological disabilities, kids with developmental delays are often likely to have pelvic floor issues. And I do consult with other um, 
pediatric therapist, um, if they do have kids that do have any present with any pelvic health issues. But ultimately, there are a lot of bowel and bladder issues that kids can have things like ankylpresis, where they have a difficult time either controlling feces or being able to have a bowel movement. So like they're straining, they can't get poop out, they're having pain. Um, there may be, you know, kids who are having issues. So usually kids are, are continent or have bowel and bladder control on average by age five, right? Um, the U.S. is a little bit more behind than some other countries because you have a lot of other countries where kids tend to be continent a lot earlier than that. So like probably around the age of three. Um, but usually by age five, if kids are still having issues with daytime leaking, so they can't control um, urination, if they're having issues with bowel movements, so they're having um, fecal incontinence, they can't control bowel movements, or they're so constipated that they cannot pass bowel movements. If they're having any type of pain, um, you know, in the rectum or the genitals, which can happen as well. If they're having any issues with bedwetting, mm. um, these are all things that we deal with, especially for very young kids. When they get to be teenagers, we're looking more at things like genital pain, and rectal pain. Okay. Um, we're looking at things like, um, especially for females, painful periods, which oftentimes if a young lady comes and says, you know, my, you know, my periods are really painful. They're more often than not told, oh, that's how periods are supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Go take some, go take some pain meds. You'll be fine. Um, and it's just kind of brushed off. But we now know that things like endometriosis, Yes. can occur in young ladies very early. And oftentimes in most cases with endometriosis, it was missed mm -hmm. from the time these young ladies were having issues with pain, with periods, and not just when they're on their period, but in between periods as well. So we call that cyclical and non-cyclical pain. Um, so all those types of things. The other thing is pain with insertion of anything. So I find this a lot with my athletes, you know, who attempt to insert a tampon because maybe now they've moved up to a competitive status, right? Mm -hmm. And nobody wants to be jumping around in the pad. Right. It just it's, it's just not cute, y'all. <laughs> so then they go to try to insert a tampon and it is horrendously painful. And they're like, no, I will never do this again. And then fast forward, right? You see a lot of those same individuals by the time they do start having intercourse, intercourse is painful, but we don't typically tend to look at what's happening with them in those younger years mm. as, a, as, a, as a flag, as a warning to say, hey, this is not something that's normal because a tampon is not very big and a right. tampon, tampon insertion shouldn't be painful. Might be a little, you know, anything new can be a little bit like, Hey, well, what's going on, but it shouldn't be painful. It might be a little irritating, but it shouldn't be painful. But the, there are a lot of young ladies that cannot insert a tampon. It would not even, I mean, they can't even get like the tip of a tampon in, um, because of pain. Um, and then you'll see a lot of it translate into issues, painful intercourse, vaginismus, bulbodynia, vestibulodynia, all these other diagnoses when they become adults. And usually when they come to my office, it's, I'm having pain with sex. Okay, well, let's kind of tease out what's going on and figure out what's going on with you. Um, so I'll see them when they're young for a lot of those things. And a lot of the time I work in tandem with the physicians. So whether it's a pelvic pain physiatrist, there's such a great one here in Atlanta, um, Dr. Taylor of Pelvic Rehabilitation Medicine, um, but also with GYNs. Um, so that they can get the help they need and we can kind of collaborate to ensure that these patients are addressed. So sometimes for the kids, it might be working with urology, 
pediatric GI specialists, all these different things. So I wanted to ask you too, you talk about um, when a client comes in or patient comes in, you do an assessment. Is that an assessment kind of like when you go to the doctor and they kind of like touch on different spots or are you using some type of machine? What does the assessment look like? So typically my assessments, um, when they come in, it starts with their history, right? I need to know all the business. I tell everybody, I'm like, listen, <laughs> we're about to be real close. I'm about to know all the business, okay? If, it, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to pry, but we got to know what's going on, right? Can't take stuff at face value, so we got to get into the history. Um, so I ask a lot of questions, not just about what they're currently coming in with, but anything that might have happened before, any situations that might have transpired before, whether it's something like birth control use or, you know, similar pain with, with other occurrences in the past or whatever have you. Um, you know, maybe injuries that could have contributed to, to some of the pelvic pain, like a fall or whatnot. Um, so we look at that. We go through a very, very thorough history. Then from there, I go through a screening. So I do my regular orthopedic screening because I want to make sure that any of the pain they're having is not being, you know, is not as a result of pain somewhere else, right? So I look at the back. I go ahead and look at lumbar movement. I look at thoracic movement. Just have them do a quick screen look at them weight bearing, weight shifting. I go ahead and check the hips because again, the, the hips, the hip joint is actually in a part of the pelvis. And so I want to make sure that that's functioning well. So we go through that. Then from there, I do an external pelvic floor assessment um, where I'm looking at the muscles. I'm looking at coordination. I'm also looking at sensation. So I'm doing that neurological assessment what are you feeling, right? Are you feeling pain when you're not supposed to be? Are you feeling no sensation when you should, you should be able to feel like, you know, this, mm -hmm. my finger or this Q-tip or whatever in this area, like you should be able to feel this. And they're like, well, no, I can't feel anything there. Where are you? Mm -hmm. Then I know, okay, this is not, you know, something is going on here that we might need to pay closer attention to. So we go ahead and we do sensory assessments if warranted or if appropriate. Then I go ahead and I do an internal assessment. So for females, internal assessment may be vaginal or rectal. For males, internal assessment would be rectal. Um, and if it's appropriate. And the reason why I say that is, I might have a mama come in with something like diastasis recti. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily need to, to do an internal assessment on her. But if she is presenting with other symptoms, maybe she has a prolapse, maybe she's complaining of heaviness or discomfort at the perineum. If it's a postpartum mom and she's complaining of pain or change in sensation or these different things, then it's going to be warranted, but it may not always be. If I've got a mom coming in and she's complaining of pain, but there's either a lot of anxiety or the pain is so severe that I think it's going to be prohibitive, then we put that off until another time when it would be more appropriate. Because I tell my patients all the time, when you walk into my office, you are the boss, not me. This is a collaborative relationship. If you do not feel comfortable at any point in time, we stop. Because again, you are the boss. This is your body and you should always feel like you are in charge. Mm -hmm. So that's what I say to my patients. So again, if it is appropriate, we go ahead and we can do that internal assessment. If not, we can always hold off until a more appropriate time. Once we've done all that, we've gathered our information, then we go ahead, I go ahead and sit down and talk to them about what's happening. If there are referrals that need to be made, I go ahead and make those. If not, then we look at what their next steps are and what their plan of care is. And that's going to vary. A lot of people always ask, well, how long do I need therapy for? Right. It depends, right? I don't know what's wrong with you till I start evaluating you. So it really does depend. 
this has been such a great conversation just because I feel like you've shared so much information that moms have been curious about or wanted more information about and didn't know didn't have an idea of where to go so you know thank you for one doing what you do but for also sharing with us um so what is it that you would want to share maybe something I haven't asked or we haven't covered that you would want to um share with with our moms for one I one of the things I always tell my mom is please give yourself some grace. Mm -hmm. I think oftentimes, because we are so focused on our little ones when they come, right? And we yes. put ourselves back. We feel like maybe we're not doing enough, even though we are acting like Superwoman, Wonder Woman, and everybody else combined. Yes. Um, you know, we feel like we have got to keep up with some type of image or narrative within our communities. And I say, all oh, that is BS. Mm -hmm. You need, you need to exercise some grace. And like I told a mama who was crying in my office. So what if the dishes don't get done? Right. Yeah. They'll get done tomorrow. Did anybody die? No, we're good. Then we're good. We have <laughs> kept the kids alive. That is a win. Move on to the next day. And you know, it, it, it's, it sounds so easy, but I know it can be so difficult. Um, the other thing is, is that a lot of the issues that moms experience, even during pregnancy, all that pain that you felt during pregnancy is not normal. It can happen. But as your body goes through changes, recognize that you don't have to be miserable for the nine, 10 months that you are pregnant, that there is help for that. And you can see a pelvic floor therapist to have those things addressed. So whether it's the round ligament pain, mm -hmm. whether it's the back pain, the hip pain, the pressure, you know, <clears throat> all those things. And even after you've had that baby, you don't need to hurt. You know, your womanhood is, is essentially not gone and not lost just because you had a baby. No, you're not supposed to wet your pants for the rest of your life. No, you're not supposed, sex is, sex is not off the table. You should be enjoying sex. And I tell people all the time, when, after you have a baby, you go from having, um, you know, the first part of adult sex to really having big girl sex because your body's now matured. Now, now you're in the mature phase of life, right? So now we're going we're gonna to do some different things because now your body's going to respond a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Embrace that. Embrace the evolution. And know that, you know, there, again, there is help and there are solutions for many of the things that women go through during pregnancy, during postpartum, and even beyond. We didn't even talk about menopause and that's a whole nother yeah, that's Even a whole nother episode. That's a whole nother episode. <laughs> but I wish somebody would have told me when I was um, pregnant the first time and I was having round ligament pain, all kind of pain, that I could have went to see a physical therapist. I, I didn't even, I thought, okay, once I have, once I have the baby, I'll, then I can go. But I never thought to go during my pregnancy. So yeah, appreciate that tip to all the moms who are pregnant. You do not have to be uncomfortable. <laughs> Nobody wants to be miserable, Lord have mercy. And, and one of the things we just, you know, this is the end of cesarean awareness month, right? Um, if you've had a cesarean birth, if you are having an elective cesarean, know that after you have your cesarean, you can see a pelvic floor therapist for scar management um, and things of that sort, because it's really important. A lot of, I know moms two years after they've had a baby and they still have no sensation or it's still painful to touch and all these different things. Um, I had a mom who she'd had three kids. They were five, three, and one. And she'd wanted to work out, but she was constantly having pain. She's like, I can't do anything. Can't do my workouts. And I, I really feel stuck and I'm having this pain still. And I said, okay, let's take a look. Let's see what's going on. 
And I worked on her. A lot of it was just that scar mobility. She has so many restrictions. And then we started to gradually get her into a fitness routine, something that she could handle, something that wasn't overwhelming. And then, you know, a progression that she could continue to grow from. And she was fine. I saw her like three times. Wait a minute. Okay. So you say you're not after a C-section, you're not, you regain some of the, um, because I'm like, I'm, I'm numb, like where the, Mm-hmm. And so I should not be known. There are some people who will lose sensation, but again, that's usually in, and sometimes that can happen because when we look at the nerves that supply sensation to the tissues, they may be cut, but okay. some people have a loss of sensation. Some people have pain after you, once your incision heals, simple little things like brushing that incision, massaging that incision and your pelvic PT can show you how to do all those things. Um, just you do, getting acclimated to touch a lot of women, especially if they have a traumatic birth, they completely dissociate. So anything below the belly button doesn't exist, right? It doesn't <laughs> exist. It's not there. They, it, it's just like that part of their body is not, not there anymore. They can't touch their stomach, nothing like that. And so even starting with addressing that issue mm-hmm. and getting them to tune back into their bodies is huge. Like, you know, it, it's, it's really, it's, it's so much more than just the physical. Mm-hmm. We work a lot, especially working with moms and working in pelvic health. It's really all about mind body connection. There's so much more to it than just all physical. That is so good. I'm like, yeah, you have to come back because we need to come. We need to talk about menopause. <laughs> That's the whole, yes. And then I'm like, man, you're shedding some tea. And I'm like, really? I shouldn't this? Okay, I'm gonna have to go check this out. So I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing with us. And yeah, we'll have to have you back. Oh, absolutely. It'd be my pleasure. I'm about to forget the major thing. How can people find you? How can moms find you? Absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram at the pelvic perspective. You can find me on my website, www.jmmhealthsolutions.com. If you are in the Atlanta metro area, I'm located in Duluth. You can find me there. Email info at jmmhealthsolutions.com if you've got any questions and I'd be more than happy to help. Awesome. Thank you so much. Hey moms. I wanted to tell you about a resource that I have that I created called Burps, Fibs, and Breakdowns. It's a 90-day journal for moms. It was what I wished I'd had after I'd had my son. So if you know if you're looking for a gift for a soon-to-be mom or a mom that's in that postpartum phase that is just going through or that could benefit from something, a journal that focuses on her, that focuses on her mental health, that focuses on her emotions and helps her to remind herself to check in with herself to see if she's taking care of herself, this is just the thing. You can find it on the Mahogany Moms website. You can also find it on Amazon at Burps, Bibs, and Breakdowns, the 90-Day Journal for Moms. There also be a link in the show notes. Thanks, moms. Hi, moms. I love, 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 love this episode because Dr. Juan Michelle Martin really shed some light on things that we need to know. It's important for us to know about our bodies, how to take care of our bodies in pregnancy, right? Because she said you don't have to be uncomfortable in pregnancy, right? I think a lot of times we think that it's just the natural course of things. And so her saying that you don't have to be uncomfortable, that you can seek out a physical therapist for some of your pains. I just think that that was so enlightening, right? Because again, like I said in the episode, I didn't know that. And so I hope that you moms that you all are listening, that you all found that to be 
helpful. She also talked about some things that you can do in the postpartum phase in terms of just taking care of your bodies and some things that you don't have to deal with, especially if you've had a C-section and you've lost some nerve function or that it just doesn't have to be that way. There are lots of things that I learned that I didn't know that I wish I had known after having my kids in that whole, especially as it pertains to the C-sections that I had and just how I could, you know, deal with the diastasis recti even even more so. I know that diastasis recti is more commonly discussed now than it used to be because when I talked to my doctor about it, she was like, I didn't talk to her necessarily about diastasis. I was trying to figure out what was happening with my body. I don't know that she really knew about it or at the time it was really such a thing as it is now or as widely discussed. So I want to encourage you to, you know, if you're a mom and you're feeling like you're still looking pregnant, there are definitely exercises and videos about what you can do about the diastasis and how to tell if you have one. I want to wish you moms a happy Mother's Day. I want to acknowledge those moms who may be grieving from the loss of their mom or who may be grieving because of the loss of a child. And so again, if you are, you know, suffering please, please, please use the resources that are listed in the show notes to seek professional help because I don't want you to suffer in silence. That's the the whole purpose behind this podcast is to know that other moms are going through some of the same things that you are and that help is available. It is also Maternal Mental Health Awareness Month. And again, like she said, there's a mind-body connection. If you're not good mentally, then you can't be good physically. So again, if you're struggling with, you know, postpartum depression, anxiety, Uh, psychosis, anything, whether or not you're in that postpartum phase or not, please, 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 please seek help. And um, if I can do anything to be of help to you, please reach out to me and I will help you to find the resources or the person that you need to help you to move from where you are to where you want to be. So I hope that you have um, been blessed by this episode. She's definitely shared some gems. And if you're looking for a physical therapist, definitely reach out to Dr. One, Michelle Martin. And I believe that she will be able to help you as well. All right, guys. Enjoy your month. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Mahogany Moms podcast with me. If you like the podcast, please show your support by sharing it and leaving a review. If you'd like to learn more about us, go to mahoganymomspodcast.com. Until next time.